Well, good morning. Do I have the, oh, I do have it on. Okay, great. You can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I bring you greetings, obviously, from the States. Um, earlier this week, uh, Jill and I watch much of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth with, um, with I'm sure, many of you. We, we did that because we, in the States, not only grieve with you, we, we admire her. Um, she fulfilled her duty very well, didn't she? Um, she is a, a leader to be admired and to be emulated. And um, so we just wanted to, my wife and I in particular, wanted to let you know that we carry you on our hearts regarding her, her loss, and we're grateful for like you. I also bring you greetings from Sovereign Grace Family of Churches. Uh, you are a church, as Matt mentioned, that we carry on our heart the leadership team, we, we prayed for you. We were together last week for a retreat, and we spent time praying for our churches, and we prayed for Grace, Grace Church and prayed for you as members, and we prayed for, for Matt and for Pete, and we thank God for you. That's why when, when Matt and Pete invited me to, to maybe come early on my way to Germany, I immediately said yes because I wanted to come and I wanted to thank you for being a part of our family of churches. I don't know that you know this, but you, you strengthen us as a family of churches. Uh, your, your gospel presence here in, in Bristol and in England and in Europe is, is affecting and impacting us as a family of churches. Your, your desire to build a gospel culture that is different than the culture that you live in makes a difference not only here in the, in the UK, but makes a difference for our family of churches. Right now you're going, I know, through the Shaping Virtues. You just started that last week and, and, and touched on humility. Those virtues, they talk about the fruit of the gospel in our lives, really. And you are living that out in a way that uh, not only is going to be impactful here, but I believe strengthens sovereign grace. Your, your heart to reach the lost with the gospel strengthens sovereign grace. And I wanted to thank you for giving financially to the Ukraine war relief effort. We have a Europe development fund and money was given to that and taken from that. I'll speak about that in a moment. But that's a wonderful expression of not only your care for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, but also a wonderful expression of your partnership with, with Sovereign Grace. And uh, what I'm so glad you prayed for Europe, Matt, because um, just after the Eckstein Conference, we're going to do the first, as, as far as we know, Sovereign Grace Church's Europe pastors meeting. And, and Matt and Pete are going to travel over to that, and Jeff and I are going to, Jeff Percival and I are going to lead through that. And we're very excited about what God is doing in Europe. And uh, you, you're going to play a very important role in that. So those are just some of the reasons that I thank God for you. And I wanted to come and thank you personally for being a part of our family of churches. Okay, as Matt mentioned, he asked me, I sent him a gaggle of sermon options, and he chose this one on courage. And I'm so glad that Matt and Pete chose this one because we really do need courage to live as Christians in what is becoming really a post-Christian world. Title of my sermon is Always of Good Courage. And this is essentially what we're going to learn from this text. Courage is inspired by God and used in service to God. 
Courage is inspired by God and is used or exhibited in service to God. We're going to read, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal, who has prepared us for this very thing, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also. King James VI immediately arrested him for being a dissenter and nonconformist, which basically means that John would not stop preaching the whole counsel of God including the true gospel. He was imprisoned at Blackness Castle in Falkirk, eventually banished to France, and never returned to his church. John believed that pastors should have the freedom to preach the whole counsel of God, including the true gospel, even at the risk of being imprisoned himself. Now, John was married to Elizabeth, the daughter of John Knox, and she seemed to courageously share her husband's convictions. For when she learned that her husband's health was failing in France, France, she went to King James and appealed that he be allowed to come home. The king replied that he would only grant the appeal if her husband John conformed, meaning stop preaching the true gospel. To which Elizabeth replied by holding out her apron, saying that she would rather have his head cut off and placed in her apron than have him betray the truth. Now, as I was reading this historical account, I stopped right there. And I thought, that's exactly what my wife, Jill, would do. That if Mark stops preaching the truth, if he abandons the truth, she would hold out her apron, cut his head off. She doesn't want me. We have a commitment to continue to preach the gospel. Now, after arriving at Blackness Castle, John received a poem written by Lady Colross, who supported the nonconformists in many ways. This poem was written to inspire courage by reminding John of the hope of the eternal life that was his in Christ. This is the first stanza of that poem. My dear brother, with courage bear the cross. Joy, I'll be joined with all thy sorrow here. 
High is thy hope. Disdain this earthly dross. Once you shall see the wish day appear. I share that poem because written words that remind us of the eternal life that we have in Christ, they inspire courage as we walk through the difficulties in this temporal life, including things like pandemics and political polarization an economic crisis, and in a culture that is rapidly moving away from God's word. And that is the effect of these written words in Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul writes in verse 6, we are always of good. He actually despaired of life itself. Chapter 1, verse 8. In chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and again in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we find that Paul is being criticized. His integrity is being called into question by some in the Corinthian church. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 also tell us that Paul is facing difficult ministry experiences where he says to the Corinthians that he doesn't want to make another painful visit to them in fact, he tells the Corinthians that he is fearful that if he comes again, if he makes another visit, that they may not find him as they want, and he might not find them as he wants. Chapter 12, verse 20. Paul's afflictions were not limited just to trial experiences. We know from chapter 11 of this letter that he was beaten with rods. That he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was consistently in danger, experienced sleepless nights, had days without food, all because of the gospel. In addition, in addition to these weaknesses or these challenges, Paul was aware of his weaknesses and his shortcomings. He actually boasts about his weaknesses in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And then it seems from our text that Paul is really grappling with the reality that he, in fact, may actually die. Can, can you relate to that? Hasn't the last few years of, the, of a pandemic, hasn't it caused us all to grapple with the reality of death itself? You add to that health challenges, an economic crisis, an uncertainty about the future, and all of us, we can lose courage. Add to that an awareness, self-awareness of our own limitations and weaknesses, and we can be people who lose heart, as it says in chapter 4, verse 16. And yet, despite these, his, his afflictions, Paul writes in verse 6, he's aware of his weaknesses. He isn't working up this courage in his own strength, generated virtue. Rather, courage, these verses tell us that good courage is inspired by God and is exhibited in service to God. Now, before we look at that a little bit more closely, it's important that we define courage itself. Here's what courage is. Courage is saying and doing the right thing regardless of the cost. John and Elizabeth Welch, they, they had courage because they were convinced, based on the truth that is found here in God's word, that they must say or do the right thing regardless of the cost. See, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is saying and do, doing the right thing in spite of fear. 
See, courage is unshakable in the presence of risk and anxieties and fear because it is convinced that doing the right thing is the only option even when you don't see how that courageous act or those courageous words are actually going to work out. John Piper defines courage this way, is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. An act takes courage if it will likely be painful. The pain may be physical, as in war and rescue operations, or the pain may be mental, as in confrontation and controversy. See, it it took courage for Paul to serve the Corinthians because he needed to write to them and say the right things to them and call them to do the right things, knowing that when he did that, it would cause him, as he says in chapter 2, verse 4, anguish of heart. See, for you, Grace Church, courageously saying and doing the right thing now will prepare you to be courageous in the future as our culture moves further and further away from God's truth, whether those are issues about gender identity or right-to-life issues. See, like you, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that God would use this unprecedented time in our culture for an unprecedented advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May, May he do that. May he answer that prayer. Uh, The the pandemic that we went through, certainly in the states, the last presidential election, maybe you're just your change of of the prime minister here and the, the political climate, along with the economic issues that everyone's facing, and then and then the culture's trend that doesn't even recognize God's word means that we will need to be courageous people to speak truth and to call people to truth in. The future. See, even the queen's death, if nothing else, they've got to ask what happens when I die. See, what we have here is a difficult situation, right, that we're living in. Oh, but a wonderful situation where we have the opportunity to show people the goodness and mercy of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the goodness of living for him in following his word. So we need good courage. So here's the question I want to answer. How can we be people who are always of good courage? Well, this text gives us three characteristics of those who are always of good courage. Here's the first characteristic. Those of good courage possess eternal certainties. They possess eternal certainties. In the midst of afflictions and criticism and challenging issues, even in the face of death itself, Paul writes this, I am always of good courage. Always meaning at all times, in all circumstances. Without exception, he's of good courage. So you have to ask the question, why is he so emphatic? Because in light of the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was, he was certain, he was confident of the future and of his resurrection in Christ. He said as much in chapter 4, verse 14. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus 
and bring us with you into his presence. So because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul, by faith, possessed eternal certainties that gave him courage in the face of fear and anguish and difficulties. And aren't we people like Paul who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You, you do, don't you? We wouldn't be sitting here. So by faith, these eternal certainties are not only Paul's, they're your eternal certainties as well. And they're intended to stir in us good courage. And in these verses, we find four eternal certainties. I'm just going to mention them very, very briefly. First, we know from verse 1 that we will possess a superior eternal home, one that is actually built by God himself, which means that it will never be destroyed. To use the language of the, of the text, this tent that we live in, this body, this tent that we live in is going to be gone one day, but the building that we are going to is going to remain forever. That's certain, and that is good news. Second, we know from verses 6 through 8 that death is a departure from this world to be with Christ. Oh, don't you look forward to that day when you will see Jesus face to face. What a glorious day that is going to be. Third, we know from verses 2 through 4 that at the return of Christ, we will possess a new glorified body. And as I get older and older, the more I look forward to that day as my body breaks down physically. Fourth, we possess these eternal certainties because the Spirit who dwells within Jesus Christ. These eternal certainties inspire courage because if saying and doing the right thing means that we will have more burdens, to use the language of the text, we will have these deeper groanings that we will feel in our lives, we say and we do the right thing anyway because we know that these, these trials are light and momentary and preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Chapter 4, verse 17. You see, courage is inspired by God because in Christ we possess these eternal certainties as we say and do the right thing in our service to God. See, Paul was always, always, emphatically always of good courage because in his afflictions, he kept his eye on the eternal certainties that were his in Christ. And when he took his eye off of those eternal certainties, he realized that the afflictions and trials that he was suffering were actually being used by God to redirect his gaze back on those eternal certainties. Jeff Robinson writes this, when life shrinks to the moment and we lose our sight of eternity, we can walk down the dark road of discouragement and through the doors to the dungeon of discontentment. In his mercy, God rescues us from these dangerous roads by reorienting our gaze from temporal things to heavenly things. In Paul's ministry, affliction was the instrument God used to redirect the apostles' focus. In light of eternity, Paul's sufferings were seen as light, momentary afflictions. So with all the headlines in our news and the economic data that fills our screens, 
the impact of the war in Ukraine that's driving up your energy bill. Let me ask you, has, has your life at times shrunk to the moment in a way that you've taken your eyes off of the eternal certainties that are yours in Christ? If so, use these cultural trials. Use your personal trials. There's actually, when I was preparing this again this morning and praying, the Spirit of God stopped me here. I stopped. I believe some of you are facing real difficult personal trials. So I prayed, I prayed for you. As I prayed for you, Psalm 20 came to mind. If you read Psalm 20, it's, 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 it's a psalm that says God is aware of your trials. It says he will deliver you out of your troubles. It says that he will send you help from his sanctuary, meaning from heaven. And that he will give you all the desires of your heart and fulfill all your plans. For some of you, the, the challenges you're walking through right now, they, they seem to be going against what you thought God was doing in your life. And so you're confused and I believe God's going to help you. And I believe he wants to encourage you even today. And he wants you to know that these difficult trials are actually being used to fulfill his good purpose and plan in your life. Okay, back to the sermon. I just had to share that because the spirit was so clear. See, use your personal trials. Use the difficulty that the culture we exist in brings by reorienting your gaze. Direct your gaze and meditate on these eternal certainties that are yours in Christ. And you know what that will do if you meditate on those? It will inspire courage in your soul to do and say the right thing in your service to God. Those of good courage possess eternal certainties. Second characteristic that we see, those of good courage walk by faith. See that in verses 6 and Seven. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So while at home, meaning living in this body and away from visibly seeing Jesus Christ, we are people who walk by faith and not by sight. Paul introduced this theme of faith in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Look at those verses, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So walking by faith means that we are people who look not to the seen, but to the things that are unseen, which we know those things are, are eternal certainties, eternal things. But the question we, we want to answer is, how do you and I, how do we walk by faith so that we are always of good courage? How do we do that? Well, certainly by faith, we possess these eternal certainties that are unseen and they inspire courage by keeping our gaze upon the eternal life that is ours in Christ. 
We walk by faith, believing that God is using the trials that we're personally going through, the trials of an economic crisis, the trials of the effects of the war in Ukraine, the, the lingering effects of maybe of, of COVID-19 to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. We have to believe that. Therefore, with, with courage, we can look a, a virus in the eye, we can look our culture in the eye, we can look our trials in the eye, and we can say what you intended for evil, God has meant for good. We can say that kind of thing in faith. But there's another truth in this text we don't want to miss. There's another truth here that strengthens our faith so that we will be servants who are always of good courage. Did you notice when we read those 11 verses that each member of the Trinity is mentioned? So God the Father in verses 1, 5, and 11. The Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 6, 8, 10, and 11. And of course, the Holy Spirit in verse 5. So in this context of what Paul is writing, God the Father prepared for us an eternal life through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, who makes a way for sinners like you and me to be forgiven and redeemed through his atoning work in the gospel, making a way for us to spend eternity with God. And that truth, that experience now and in the, days to come, in the day to come, that is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So our Trinitarian God is involved in our salvation, sanctification, and glorification. And that inspires courage in the believer because as we journey through this temporal life, we, we know that regardless of the inflation that we're facing right now or how long the difficulty in the economy will linger, we, we know that we are of good courage because we believe, we know this as we walk through these trials, that every person of the Trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is with us, and He will see us through. And when our faith begins to fail, and it does at times, take the truth of the Trinity to, to build your faith and to inspire courage. Charles Spurgeon writes this, There is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound, in musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing. That can so, which can so comfort the soul, so speak peace to the winds of trial as the devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. So musing upon the Trinity will not only comfort you, it will inspire courage because if you have the Father and the Son and the Spirit on your side, which you do, you can look a job furlough or chaos of our time in the future, or a chaos of our time that we're living in, and you can look all those in the eye, and you can say, I have peace. I have peace with God, because I trust my God, who is with me, who will provide for me, who will protect me, and who will sustain me. I mentioned earlier 
uh, our gratefulness and sovereign grace for you and your generosity toward the, the war relief effort in Ukraine. Um, sovereign Grace has had a long-standing relationship with the Art Church in Hamburg, Germany. The church has had a pastor's college there for, I think, at least 15 years, um, where they train Russian, a German, Russian, Ukrainian, and other pastors from out throughout Europe. You know Jeff Perswell, who has stopped by here many times, either going to or coming back from the pastor's college, who's taught there for, I think, about 15 years now. A few years ago, the Ark Church sent a Ukrainian pastor by the name of Michael to plant a church in Dimpro, Ukraine. It's the Ark Church in Dimpro. And no one knew at that time the vital role this pastor and this church is now playing in the relief efforts in Ukraine. As Russia, as you know, has bombed eastern, the eastern part of Ukraine and southern port cities, people have been fleeing those cities, trying to get to the west. Most of them are trying to get to Poland, and they're making their way, some of them through Michael City and Dimpro, and they're making their way to his church. It's actually been designated a Red Cross Relief Center. Now, through the Ark Church, and directly we're in contact with Michael, obviously finding out what his needs are, and as a family of churches, which included your contribution, so far we've been able to give him over 100,000 U.S. dollars through our Europe Development Fund. This is a glimpse of what he faces daily. They daily are receiving refugees who need food, clothing, medical supplies, and a place to sleep. They have 90 beds set up in their, in their church. They take those all down on Sunday so they can do church but they regularly have 150 refugees showing up every day. He sent me videos. They pull up in buses, and they get off this bus, and they, 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 they don't know where to go. Michael reports that they've housed and fed over just thousands of refugees. They've refueled cars for those trying to get to the West, purchased hygiene products, diapers, medicine for people in need. In, in recent months, they've comforted people who've actually lost their homes because they've been bombed or lost loved ones because of the war, and that's even become more dangerous now because now Dinpro has, is being bombed. They have faithfully shared the gospel to those who don't know Christ, and several who, didn't, who had never heard of Christ before, several were born again. And Michael says, look, before you travel west, we're baptizing you before you leave here. Michael and his church, they're tired. They're weary. They're in danger daily. At times they are discouraged. But this is what he said in an email that he sent to me this week. He said this, The church, as the body of Christ, is a grandiose miracle of God, a supernatural union of different people. It is a living witness to the world about the wisdom and goodness of God. Now when I tried to analyze the path along which the Lord had led us to plant the ark church here in Dimpro, I admire at God's sovereignty and wisdom and insight. In his good sovereign plan, he knew about the coming trials and suffering for Ukraine. Therefore, God closely connected us with the Ark Church in Hamburg and with their pastors, and they graciously instructed us. They, they introduced us to Sovereign Grace, a family of churches that has melted our hearts through the songs we sing and through the teaching of the pastor's college and other sermons. He said, I hold in my heart the precious teaching I've received at the pastor's college. It's, it's helped me to be strong, that theology, during difficult times. 
In addition to all of this, you, meaning you, Grace Church, have been financially generous to support our war efforts. And then he says this, we are not alone in our trials. See, your, your generosity communicated that to him. We are not alone in our troubles and trials. It's an honor for us to stand with you in the same ranks. May God receive all the glory for his good sovereign plan. Good sovereign plan to plant this church and bring us together for a time such as this. Now, I share that because this is a man who's walking by faith, isn't he? He's not, he's not, his faith isn't based on what's seen because what he's seeing is not good. His faith is based on what is unseen and his faith is based on amusing of the Godhead who is sovereign and good and orders all of our days. And because of that, Michael has courage. Now, if you're like me, I don't live like Michael every day. <laughs> I only wish I did. It was just last week, it was just, just thinking about all that's going on in our culture, certainly in the States, and grieved and discouraged by how our nation is moving quickly away from God's Word, knowing that in the future that's going to require more courage. But I didn't have courage in the moment. And so what I decided to do was to sing. Now, I don't sing well. And if I sang for you now, you would flee from this room. So I'm not going to sing. But I find that singing at times truth about God is helpful for my soul. This is what I sang last week. I sang, verse, I sang the whole song, but I want to read you lyrics from O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. And as I sang this, it inspired courage. You've probably sang this song. This is how verse two goes. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver and my shield against his hateful darts, my song, when enemies surround me, my hope, when tides of sorrow rise, my joy, when trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. So when your heart is weary, when enemies surround you, when tides of sorrow rise in your life, walk by faith. Let me recommend this by singing truth about God, which in itself can be an expression of courage. If you do, just do that, if you sing in the midst of your weariness and confusion, that's an expression of courage. Spurgeon says it this way, songs in the night prove that we have true courage. Many sing by day who are silent by night. They are afraid of thieves and robbers, but the Christian who sings in the night proves to be himself to be a courageous character. It is the bold Christian who can sing God's sonnets in the darkness. So true, isn't it? 
So for some of you, whatever personal trials you're facing and the issues that you have in the UK right now that have brought discouragement, God is calling you to courageously walk by faith by singing songs in your darkness. Maybe that darkness is the weariness you feel because of a wayward child that's walked away from Christ. Maybe you're discouraged by the loss of a job or the drop in income or the the difficult boss that you work for and you're uncertain how it's all going to work out or even how God is going to provide. Maybe you're perplexed by that conflict in the home which has only grown more intense because of the pressures that you feel. Maybe you're doing your best to educate your children at home and the more you do, it seems like the less they learn. And you wonder if they're learning anything at all. See, walk by faith, by courageously singing songs in the darkness that remind you of who God is, that he is your defender and shield and hope. As Lady Colrose wrote wrote to John Welsh, high is thy hope, high is your hope, disdain this earthly dross once you shall see. The wish day appears. So let us be people who walk by faith by courageously doing and saying the right things because we possess eternal eternal certainties. And until that wish day appears, we are people who walk by faith in the God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, third characteristic. Those who are of good courage, those of good courage fear the Lord. See that in verses 9 through 11. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing we'll stand before the judgment seat, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So while verses 1 through 8 speak of ways that courage can be inspired in our hearts, here in verse 9 we find the goal of being people who are always of good courage. What is our goal? What is our aim? The text says to please the Lord. That, that word aim, as it's used there, it means to have a, an exclusive preoccupation with pleasing Christ with your life. Servants of Christ who say and do the right things regardless of the cost, they, they do that because they have this preoccupation with pleasing Jesus. In other words, this is good courage because the purpose of not shrinking back in the midst of Trials and pandemics and fears is to please the one who lovingly gave his life for you. And in keeping with the mood of this text, the aim of pleasing Christ is not just a temporal aim in this life. It is also an eternal aim as well. See, having a preoccupation, an exclusive preoccupation of pleasing Christ in this life, it prepares you to appear before the judgment seat of Christ in the life to come. Now, the original audience, they would have read verse 10 and immediately would have come, what would have come to mind is the, the tribunal bench in a Roman courtroom where the governor would come and he would sit on this bench and he would issue these, his judicial verdicts. So that judgment seat that Paul talks about 
is the bench that we will all stand before. The bench you will stand before and give an account to Christ for what we have done in this life. So, no, so knowledge of the judgment seat and our inescapable accountability before Christ has the effect of cultivating the fear of the Lord in our lives. Verse 11. Right, we got to get this right. For, for Christians, the fear of the Lord is not a, a slavish fear that, that fears eternal condemnation at the judgment seat. Rather, it is a, it is a fear marked by, by reverence. By reverence and awe. As we one day will stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for our life. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we serve people for Jesus' sake by persuading them, as it says there in verse 11, through our words and actions to do and say the right thing before God, regardless of the cost. So contextually then, verse 11 tells us that when Paul was being criticized, when he was being falsely accused by the Corinthians, he sought to courageously persuade them of his integrity not simply for self-serving means, but he didn't want them to give an account for the ill-informed criticism and false accusation that they had embraced. He was concerned about their eternal judgment day. So in like manner, Jesus, as you know, as you know taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, that we will actually give an account for every careless word spoken. That's sobering. And so what we must do as courageous people for Christ, is we must speak against gossip that provides ill-informed criticism of another because we don't want people to give an account for the false information they've embraced. That takes courage for us to do that. As people around us wrestle with questions about God and how He works in the world, we must courageously and compassionately answer those questions with the truth found in God's Word. When people experience the, the limitations that any earthly government has in managing the issues in our world right now, we must courageously point them to God who has no limitations and, and tell them that's where you can find hope. Not in, not in political governments, but in God who rules over them. Charles Spurgeon says this, My dear brothers and sisters, it will sometimes happen that to do the right thing will appear to be most disastrous. It will shipwreck your fortune and bring you into trouble. But I charge you, do the right thing at any cost. Instead of your being honored and respected, you will be regarded as eccentric and bigoted if you speak straight out. But speak straight out, straight out and never mind what comes of it. You and I have nothing to do with what becomes of us or our reputations. Our one business is to do our Father's will with dogged obstinacy, as men call it, but with resolute consecration as God esteems it through the mire and through the slough, through the flood and through the flame. Follow Jesus and the infallible word. It's a great exhortation, isn't it? So let us do the right thing at any cost as we encounter people who are going to have more needs as the economy worsens, meeting those needs with a courageous generosity and service in a way that reflects the love of Jesus Christ. As God uses this unusual time in your nation and unusual time in Europe to throw open the doors in people's hearts for the gospel, 
Be courageous to share the good news of Jesus Christ with urgency, knowing that a judgment seat awaits the person that you are sharing the gospel with. Brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord will prepare you to face any fearful situation or conversation with courage. James Johnson says this, if you fear God, you will fear nothing else. If you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is inspired by the right fear, the fear of the Lord. And so may our God-inspired courage exhibited in our service to God during this this cultural moment that we are living in, may, may, may we have courage in the days to come so that when you and I, when we stand before the judgment seat, we will hear the fulfillment of our preoccupation of pleasing Christ when he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. May you, Grace Church, be people who are always of good courage because you fear the Lord. Let me close with this. The last two stanzas of the poem that Lady Colrose wrote to John Welsh, they go like this. Look to the Lord, thou art not left alone. Since he is thine, what pleasures canst thou take? He is at hand and hears thy every groan. End out thy fight and suffer for his sake. A sight most bright thy soul shall shortly see. When store of glory, that store of glory, thy rich ward will reward shall be. Let me leave you with this. End out your fight. End out your fight together by courageously saying and doing the right thing regardless of the cost, looking to the Lord, knowing that you are not alone, confident of the riches that you will enjoy in that store of glory on that great day. May your good courage that is inspired by God and used in your service to God. May it be used to bring great glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its realism. We thank you for how it is timeless and how these verses even speak into all that we're facing today, whether that is individual trials or bigger trials. As we continue to live in a post-Christian Christian culture, I pray that you would give us the people in sovereign grace courage. I pray in particular that you would give these dear saints here at Grace Church courage to say and do the right thing. May you work in their lives by reminding them of the eternal certainties that are theirs in Christ. May you work in their lives to help them to walk by faith. May you work in their lives to stir and help them to grow in the fear of the Lord in a way that inspires courage from you. And may they use that courage to serve those that you've not only placed around them, but those that you'll bring your way. I I pray in particular that you would give them courage to share the gospel in this nation and in this city 
And we pray together, save many more people and bring them to Christ. And may that bring Christ much glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.